Well, I think it's it's important that both bear that image. Scholars have said that the divine dance of the Trinity lived in um, utter community, and the celebration of that community was to create community. And so we represent, in a way, um, that that divine dance. We are, as male and female, we represent the characteristics of our Creator. I think one of the outstanding features of, of our Lord is that He was the champion of women, so much so that he showed us how valuable and beautiful women are in in God's sight, in God's viewpoint. I think that there are many outside the kingdom who are tempted to feel that Jesus or the church is bad news for women. If I'm honest, I think there's many in the church who feel that way. This is Brian Del Turco. Thanks for listening today to Jesus Smart, the podcast, episode 180, Jesus is Good News for Women, with Mary DeMuth and Frank Viola. They are seasoned, powerful national and international kingdom voices. You can stream and drill down into links on the show notes page at jesussmart.com slash goodnewswomen. Has too much of the church or Christianity as a movement misrepresented Jesus to women? in the messaging of the church and the practice of the church. Mary DeMuth and Frank Viola think so. Me too. They collaborated on a book together, The Day I Met Jesus, The Revealing Diaries of Five Women from the Gospels. This read is insightful. It's fresh. I highly recommend it. They write, quote, Put simply, your Lord is in the business of loving, honoring, and defending women. You've heard about the glass ceiling, right? This unofficial, acknowledged barrier to the advancement in a profession, especially affecting women and members of minorities. There can be a glass ceiling in church world, okay, that does not reflect Jesus' heart for women, nor his intention for women in the kingdom. Listen in. You'll enjoy this and find it challenging. I think Mary and Frank are resolved. They're not going to let the snake call a lid over women. Mary has been married to Patrick for 25 years, three adult children. She's a prolific author. She's very passionate about the underdog, the oppressed, those who don't have a voice. She's particularly upset about celebrity Christianity Uh oh, and (laughs) ministries that spiritually abuse others. She currently lives in North Texas, serves in her local church. She's also now a literary agent with books and such, author of 40 plus books and her Pray Everyday podcast, 1.5 million listens. She's an artist. How is that going uh, right now, Mary, with the um, literary agency? Yeah, I've been doing it about two months now, and I've got about 15 clients have sold some proposals, which is great. Oh, and wow. a quick correction on the uh, on the marriage, actually. I've been married now 30 years. I need oh. to fix that on my bio. We did, That's oh. why we were okay. celebrating 30 years. So that's exciting. Oh. Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, you've been mentoring authors for some time, though, haven't you? Even though you're now formerly an agent. Yeah, it was just kind of a no-brainer because I've been shepherding and mentoring authors since 2004. And uh, this seemed to be a logical next step. Okay, yes. You can visit her website at marydemuth.com, D-E-M-U-T-H. Also, she has a site, we2.org. 
which is sort of a parallel movement to the We Too movement, right, Mary? In your book, We Too, How the Church Can Respond Redemptively to Sexual Abuse Crisis? Yes, exactly. And it's a lot about how community can be the way that we are wounded, but community is also the way back to healing. Wow. wow. So so is there anything in the pipeline right now, Mary, in terms of books or projects that you're working on? Yeah, I just handed in one, and I have another one in the pipeline about uh, parenting adult kids. Now, Frank Viola is a radical, okay, <laughs> as in the cla- <laughs> as in the classical definition of the of the of the word returning to the root. And Mary's a radical too, t- to be honest with you. But mm-hmm. Frank believes there's an insurgence underway among today's Jesus followers to reclaim the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus taught, that Jesus modeled for us. He's the author of Resurgence, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. Oh, 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 I got to correct you. Insurgence. 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 Thank you. My apologies. Resurgence is a a different book by a different author. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's a typo, man. It's a typo on the Google Doc I did. Author of Insurgence. I should know it. I've read the book from cover to cover, for goodness sake. (laughs) Insurgence, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom. And there's a book site insurgentsbook.com, right, Frank? Insurgents.org is the one you want to send people to. Just insurgents.org? Okay. Yes, sir. Very good. And the Insurgents podcast has been killing it. I just listened to an episode on a walk this morning about the seed, the parable of the growing seed. Did I hear now that you're resuscitating the Christ is All podcast as well? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We're going to start it, uh, resume it rather, in... um, this month, actually, uh, April the 13th is the planned date, and we're going to resume it. We have 129 episodes that have been uh, online and available, but number 130 will take place on the 13th of April. I don't know when you're going to publish this <laughs> this podcast, but um, whether people hear it before or after, they can go to the Christ is All podcast on any app. And check it out. Yeah, very good. It's going to drop on Tuesday, April 13, 13, next Tuesday. So there we go. Yeah, I remember listening to some of those episodes back in the day. I'd be driving to church, you know, kind of a long drive, and I'd be listening to Frank Viola on the Christ is All podcast. Okay, and he's a top Christian blogger at frankviola.org, and also the Deeper Christian Life Network. Uh, Frank, why should somebody consider... The Deeper Christian Life Network? Well, it's basically designed uh, to go deeper into uh, my work. Uh, I have master classes on there that uh, have never been publicly released before, and they do a deep dive into um, various themes and various uh, letters in the New Testament. And they take a right brain approach to the letters. We have Galatians 3D, uh, Ephesians in 3D, for example, and it's a, it's a unique approach to Paul's work. Um, typically, we're used to uh, a left brain analysis, you know, verse by verse exposition. But this whole um, approach in these master classes takes a right brain approach, which storifies the letters of Paul and, and, and brings you into the living story that's behind the letter. And it just opens it up in a brand new way. But also there's connection with other like-minded believers who want to go deeper in the Lord, who are kind of tired of the, the shallowness you know, in the Christian world today. We have, we have so many people who are on it from all different countries. We have an annual conference every year just for the people who are on the network. And it's just a way that 
you know, people who have written me and they've read books or blog posts or podcasts and said, hey, I want more. I want to go deeper. Um, we developed it to meet that particular need. And we have people joining all the time. So it's it's been a real blessing. It's probably, I, I view it as my most valuable uh, spiritual resource uh, available beyond my books and blog and podcasts. Wow. Excellent. The deeperchristianlife.com is, is, the, is the website. Hey, he's happily married, father, cat and dog lover, author of more than how many books now is it, Frank? Not not as many as Mary. I've haven't have not caught up to her yet. Probably never will. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm around maybe fourteen published books, and then if you count ebooks, then it pushes it up to about thirty. So. Okay. And as a speaker, and you too are a consultant to writers as well, right? Yeah, I'm not a literary agent. Um, and by the way, I'm so glad you're doing that, Mary. I'm I'm, I'm and I'm happy to hear the success of it. Thank you. But, um, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I think you're you're well wired for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but no, I do a I do a a yearly event called Scribe, where I basically you know pull back the curtain and talk about everything I have learned and what I practiced. You know how to write a book from scratch and how to. Um, how to um, publish it, the different options. And then the hard part is how do you actually promote it where people beyond your your uh, relatives and your second grade teacher want to <laughs> read, you know what I mean? So, uh, but Mary does a lot of that as well. And uh, so we, we recommend her work as well. Let you know when we do this. Yeah, you're both such great resources for uh, the body of Christ. Um, anything in the pipeline right now, Frank, in terms of projects, books? Yes, sir. I have a, a book coming out in August of this year, which is 2021. Uh, so those of you who are listening in the year 2060, uh, <laughs> it will be available to you, God willing. Um, but it is a, I'm not going to say what the title is, but it is a book that navigates people through the worst that life can throw at them. Uh, we have many people today who are going through financial crisis. We have many people who are going through relational crisis. And we're having, we have many people going through health crisis. And, uh, you know, I, I, I haven't met too many people where life is just, you know, peachy and rosy and, you know, they're not going through, through some kind of a hardship or trouble of some sort. And so I wanted to write a book out of my own experience because <clears throat> I've had all, all of those different crises at different points in my life and talk about how can you actually survive it and even thriving, and what is the purpose of it anyway? You know, why why does God allow this stuff to happen to his children? Uh, horrific things, horrendous things. And so this book is really designed as a manual, but kind of a field guide <laughs> to help people when they're going through hell on earth to to actually get a different perspective and how to how to leverage it in the best possible way and not waste their trial, not waste their suffering. Yes, we're going to get right to it in terms of why and how Jesus is good news for women. Before we do that, Mary, is there one, two, or three sort of top life messages right now maybe that you feel the Lord is asking you to carry at this time? That's a great question. I think one is... um has to do with productivity and our hustle culture, and that is to choose small and to tend large. Um, I think what we like to do is we we try to tend everything and we tend large and 
and uh, but we also choose large. But I think what we need to do is focus on um, little things mm. and a small amount of things and do them really, really well. I think a lot of us are spread too thin. I think another core message is that um, Jesus is not really after big numbers and um, giant platforms as much as he's after faithfulness and discipleship. And so I think it's more important that I look back on my life and say, I discipled these people than it is for me to say, I wrote 43 books. Mm, um, wow. And so that, because that's the eternal impact of, of a life is a poured into life and on a, in a world full of screens, we're losing the impact of one-on-one uh, discipleship like that. And then um, I would say also the last thing is that it is a blessing that God is shedding light on sexual abuse within the church. People are freaked out about it. They don't like it, but I see it as a good, holy cleansing that the Lord's doing. And I'm always really grateful when something like the Ravi Zacharias thing comes to light Mm. because nothing thrives in the darkness and you can't have revival on the seedbed of darkness. You have to have revival only in the, the ground of light and truth. And so if we want to see revival happen in our midst and our churches and our small gatherings, then there has to be truth at its root. And so I guess those are my couple of messages I'm talking about lately. Yeah, judgment must begin with the people of God, it says, right? Mm-hmm. Didn't Paul say that if you would judge yourselves, you would not be judged, you know? Mm-hmm. Or just that need for appraisal constantly, if we, if we would take stewardship of that. How about you, Frank? What are um, maybe one, two, or three top life messages you feel the Holy Spirit's asking you to uh, message right now? Well, the one is what I had uh, mentioned before in in the book that's coming out in August, and that is never waste a trial, never waste your sufferings. Um, You know, God has a specific purpose, a design uh, for all, all of the hardships and adversities that we as his children go through. Um, None of it takes him by surprise, and he is—he's just a master chess player. He, he can see the whole board and corners that we can't even, you know, imagine. And he basically has an intention in it that is for good. We can say that with every hardship we go through. You know, if we look at it with natural eyes, we can place blame on human beings. Um, we can place blame on circumstances, uh, and it's easy to get bitter if we don't have the right perspective. But nothing gets to us until it first passes through the sovereign hands of God. And, the, and this is the God who is loving and has our best intention and interests at heart. So that would be one. The other one is the explosive gospel of the kingdom that I have been obsessed with uh, for a number of years. And, and that's why I put it in the book. And that's why we have the continuing podcast, the Insurgent podcast. Right now, what we're doing, I have a conversation partner. And right now, what we're doing, Brian, as you know, if you listen to it, we are looking at every mention of the kingdom of God in the Gospels, mm-hmm. and that's going to be the content for uh, all of the subsequent episodes that we'll be doing. And then from there, we're going to go to every mention in Paul's letters and then every mention in the rest of the New Testament. But um, I hope it's shedding some new light, some fresh light on the kingdom and this business about the gospel of the kingdom. Right. I think we've lost it in the Christian world. And so I'm. I'm uh, very burdened to 
at least put a spotlight on it again and hopefully shed some light on what exactly it is and how life altering it is. Yeah. So. I guess I want to think that, you know, preceding the Lord's return and the fullness of the kingdom, the consummation of the kingdom that he brings, I guess I want to believe that there would be a restoration of the kingdom <laughs> message <laughs> seems to me in preparation for that. So how did the two of you come to write this book together? The day I met Jesus, the revealing diaries of Five Women from the Gospels. There is a website, thedayimetjesus.com, for this book. What, what's the backstory of, how, of this project and how you came together on it? Well, I, th- I think it, it was definitely Frank's idea, and uh, I can't remember how Frank found me, but he approached me about writing the, the stories part of the book. And uh, so we collaborate, collaborated kind of cleanly that way. I wrote the fictionalized accounts of those women and he wrote the walk it out section. Um, but I, I can't recall. I think we have a mutual friend or somehow he found me. I'm not, I can't remember how it happened, but maybe Frank, you remember. <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so in 2013, I released a book called God's favorite, God's favorite place on earth. And it's in a genre that I would call biblical narrative where it's not, you know, it's not, uh, biblical fiction, but it does have a fictional element, but it's so close to the historical context in the biblical text that that I wouldn't call it fiction. Um, but it's it's using sanctified imagination to uh, a biblical text and then taking all of what we know about first century history and what was going on in the in the New Testament to to turn it into a story. And so what God's favorite place did was it took, all of the visits that Jesus had to Bethany, the little village of Bethany, and tells the story through the eyes of Lazarus. Mm. And so Lazarus is an old man, and and now he's reflecting back on uh, when Jesus came to his hometown, which was Bethany. And basically, when you look at all of the narratives and you put them together, what you discover is that Bethany was the only place on planet Earth that received Jesus Christ. He was rejected everywhere else. And in fact, the last night of his life, he spent in Bethany, that he had a place to lay his head. You know how he said the son of man has no place to lay his head? (laughs) Well, he had only one in this little obscure town, you know, this humble village called Bethany. And so I told the story through through the eyes of Lazarus. And it had, you know, a fictional section, which I wrote the fictional part. Uh, based on the New Testament texts and first century history. And then I, I, I did a walking out section. Like, how does how do we apply all of this um, that we're learning uh, to our lives now? You know, how can we be a Bethany today for Jesus Christ? Yeah. Both individually in our homes and, and in our churches. And so that was the message of that book. And I still regard that book to be, you know, it's one of my favorites. It's probably my favorite book in terms of literary style and so forth. Well, I had another idea that would be a follow-up to um, to the book, God's Favorite Place on Earth. And, and this would be a book where women, the women, five women in particular, who encountered Jesus Christ in the Gospels, tell their stories through their own eyes, how they met the Lord and what he did for them, right? So, but... Being that I am not a woman, <laughs> um, I thought it would be appropriate to find a, a fiction writer uh, who 
who would be able to collaborate on this project. And I had a short list. There was only one name. It was Mary's name. I didn't have anybody else. The way the way that happened was, I guess I saw her name. You know how you, you, you read tweets and people are retweeting different individuals. And I guess I saw her name from some people I respect. I can't remember who those people are. Forgive me. But um, so I, 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 I somehow stumbled across her, her, one of her books, and it was a nonfiction book. I read the book and I really resonated with it and I loved it. And I, and I thought she was an excellent writer. Well, I didn't know she was a fiction writer when I was reading that book, but I found out that she's a switch hitter. She writes fiction and nonfiction. Oh yeah. So yeah. I thought, I thought, you know what? I, I just felt like she was the perfect person uh, to, to uh, co-work on this project. So I asked her and she accepted and the rest is history as they say. <laughs> She's got the heart for it too, doesn't she? Wow. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the five women that you mentioned in the book is the sister of Lazarus, right? Mary? Yes, Mary Mary Bethany. She is my favorite female character in all scripture. In fact, in fact, she trumps most men uh, in my eyes. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's a <laughs> phenomenal, phenomenal person. Yeah. So these five women that you uh, focus on, the two of you in this book, the women the woman caught in adultery. It was probably an entrapment, right? They tried to corner mm-hmm. Jesus. Number two, Mary Magdalene, demonized, uh, delivered from seven evil spirits, a prostitute, and she, you know, she was the one who uh, uh, just radically worshipped Jesus and fell at his feet in the house of that Pharisee. <laughs> Too much consternation, right? The Samaritan woman is 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 another one, a multiple divorce divorcee, and the woman with the unending flow of blood mm-hmm. and all of the pain and isolation that that meant for her in that in that culture. What are your thoughts, Mary? Has has too much of the church, I don't want to overgeneralize or, you know, make an error with painting with a too broad of a brush, but has too much of the church or too much of Christianity in our day misrepresented Jesus to to um to women and uh, and and to men about women? In, in, in terms of its messaging and its practice? Yes, I do think that's true. And um, and it's odd to me. It doesn't make a lot of sense because if we look at the first proclaimers of the gospel, it's, it's those at the tomb who are female <laughs> who yeah. do that. And yeah. uh, we see so much that even Jesus's ministry wouldn't have been able to necessarily happen without those women who are supporting him financially. Um so there's a lot there that we just forget about. And I it, it it's regrettable. Um, and I think having come from mostly normal, like non-patriarchal uh, churches, um, I still have a, a sensitivity for seeing a lot of that right now. And uh, that has made things harder for women, I think, who feel called to preach the gospel, who feel called to have ministry and to love others. And um, it's often just been, scripture has been uh, read so much through a hermeneutic of male eyes Mm. that it's time for some, some women scholarship and also just looking at women as image bearers and fellow image bearers. That's who we are.
yeah, you know, I'm married. We have four daughters, so I'm kind of a, I have a heightened interest in this myself. Frank, you write towards the end of your book together that some women face discrimination in the body of Christ today. What what are your thoughts on this question? Has has too much of the church or Christianity misrepresented Jesus today regarding women? Yeah, I think one of the outstanding features of, of our Lord is that he was the champion of women so much so that he showed us how valuable and beautiful women are in, in God's sight, in God's viewpoint. Um, when you look at his interaction with women, <clears throat> it was uncanny that a rabbi would have women, female disciples. You know, in that day, you did not do that. And yet he, Luke calls them the women. He, he, he uses a shorthand phrase to refer to the 12 disciples. He calls them the twelve. But he also has a shorthand phrase to refer to Jesus, uh, his um, female disciples, and he just calls them the women. And this appears uh, multiple times in the book of Luke. And as Mary pointed out, they were the ones that financed the Lord's ministry, right? Uh, but, but, But even beyond that, it was the women who were his most faithful disciples. When all of the when all the men got out of Dodge, you know, when they saw that cross erecting up that hill, the women stayed with them. And and what's really impressive is they did something that no woman in 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 her in her nature, her all of her instincts are against this, but they sat there, stood there and watched the the man they loved and adored and worshipped, they watched him tortured to death for hours, and they did not leave his side. Mm. And even after he was dead, it was the women who kept caring for him. They're the ones that went to anoint his body. And as Mary pointed out, they were the first eyewitnesses of his resurrection. And, and it's uncanny, too, because... In that day, a woman's testimony was worthless. And yet the Lord, as he always does, the kingdom of God is upside down. He turns everything on its head. He chose women to be the witness, the testimony, but he was alive. Yeah, really the first evangelist of the resurrection, right? Yeah, absolutely. The witness and the evangelist. And 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 even beyond that, what, what really touches my heart is that, is that, the Lord chose women, a woman in particular, to depict that which he came to the earth to die for, the, the ultimate passion of God, his magnificent obsession, which is his very bride, a woman. And we see a woman appear in the opening chapters of Genesis before there was any sin, And we see a woman in the closing chapters of Revelation, which is after sin has been erased. And it is this lovely bride who is one with her Lord and who we are all a part of. You know, whether you're man or woman, you are part of this girl, the most beautiful girl in the world that has captured the Lord's heart wherein he would die for her. Ephesians 5. Mm. And it is it is a woman. So. So Jesus Christ has a very high regard, an elevated view of women, and and he is God in flesh, right? He is the human face of God. So this is how God views women, and it's really incredible 
And I don't think a lot of uh, Christian people, leaders really get that. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. And I think that as, as, as Mary has alluded to that it's 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 kind of shocking and startling why there still seems to be within the church many times this residual i guess we'll call it a discrimination or let's just say not looking and valuing women in a way which reflects the way that Jesus does and Mary I want to ask you a question in just a moment if I can about this garden like encounter that Mary Magdalene had with the resurrected Jesus on that first Sunday and what it could be saying to us. And Frank, I'd like to ask you, I found this incredibly intriguing, the possibility that, is it Cleopas and Mary, the husband and wife, mm-hmm. possibility yeah. of them being a husband and wife on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? And could this be some kind of an echo of Adam and Eve and Jesus in Eden? We just celebrated Easter Resurrection Sunday And no matter what time of year you listen to this, we're in the age of the resurrection life of Jesus. So, you know, it's just the resurrection is on, so to speak. We should look carefully around. I'm I thought to myself, I should look carefully around the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. What's happening there? Because there's obviously a shift and a new order is emerging. And so, as you've already begun to say, there were many women at the cross, burial and resurrection of Jesus. And I was I was looking at this in detail. You got Mary Magdalene there, the one delivered from seven demons. You have Mary, the mother of James the Less, who is the wife of Cleopas, possibly that we see in Luke 24. We have the mother of the sons of thunder was there, Salome, or Salome, I'm not sure of the pronunciation. Mary, the mother of Jesus, of course, was there. And it also says many other women came with him to Jerusalem, traveling with Jesus and the twelve, I guess from Galilee. And and Jesus was innovative, right, Frank, in that he had women students. This was not done. Yeah, absolutely. As a as a rabbi. And then when he was buried, Joseph of Arimathea, one of the members of the Sanhedrin, who was a good and righteous man, he laid Jesus in a tomb and women were there from Galilee. They saw the tomb. They actually saw how the body was laid. They returned and prepared spices. And then when the resurrection came, all the men were sort of in their man cave, so to speak. <laughs> and the women were there and they came that morning. And I think really Mary Magdalene was sort of the leader of that. They were terrified, but the message was go and tell the disciples and Peter. And they didn't believe at first. And Mary seems, uh, Jesus seems to first appear to Mary Magdalene. Is that is that right, Mary? Yes. Um, and what's phenomenal about that story is the garden imagery. So we start the the Bible in the Garden of Eden where everything is pristine and she's in a garden and she mistakes him for the gardener. I just think it's such a beautiful thought that this is the moment where God is making everything new and the gardener, the one who tends the earth, the the new man, so to speak, um, the new Adam uh, who's tending the earth or mistaken for someone who's tending the earth is now the beginning of the new creation and the new order of things that the kingdom is now forcefully advancing based on this resurrection, but it's in a garden. And then we go to, we jump forward. And this is why I love the Bible so much. It's uh, as the Bible project said, there's hyperlinks everywhere. Yeah. So you, you see this garden in the old 
Testament, you see this garden in the resurrection, or you see the garden um, of Gethsemane where Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. He's, he's sweating blood. Then you see the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and there's garden imagery everywhere. There's new trees, there's, there's rivers, there's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily just a city. It's also a garden city. Yeah. Garden city. And, and there's, yeah, so you see this beautiful fulfillment at the end of time. And so that's kind of one of the things that I've been meditating on lately. Um, but yeah, the fact that it's it's a woman who witnesses this first and then um, is the messenger to the male disciples, it actually affirms the resurrection. I know we've, you know, we can talk about that a lot too, but the fact that it was her and that they recorded it in scripture as such actually makes it more believable to me because that's just not done. You would just make up a story and say, Mm -hmm. no, it was Peter who saw it first, but Mm -hmm. they've accurately portrayed it. And the fact that they mentioned a woman as being the first witness to the resurrection actually strengthens the claim of the resurrection because it's such an odd feature that the biblical writers would include. Oh man, it's like the brilliance of God's sovereignty, right? The multi-layered things that are happening there and, and what he's trying to communicate to us. Do you feel that, do you see echoes of Eve in this encounter, uh, Mary, with uh, Mary Magdalene and um, and Jesus? Well, sure. And as you mention it, you think about, you know, Eve is in the garden with the serpent who is definitely evil and um, lying and all of that kind of stuff. And then now you have Mary uh, who has been delivered of those things um, and, and now is completely reborn. So she had an encounter with the demonic was delivered from the demonic witnesses, the, the life, the death and the resurrection of Christ. And now, even though she has this demonic background, she's a witness to the resurrection. Like what what better way to describe that when Jesus says, I've come to do one thing, I've come to destroy the works of the evil one. It's right there. I'm really glad you've caught part one of this important conversation with Mary DeMuth and Frank Viola. Would you consider sharing it with others, one or two of your friends? You know, when you listen to something two times, I'm going to predict that you get a 4X effect on the content. It multiplies. And would you talk about it with others and share it with one or two of your friends whom you think may value this? Here's how you can help with the show. When you rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen, it brings the podcast to the attention of more people. The show notes page to stream and to drill down on all the links and get further information about Mary and Frank and about this topic, jesussmart.com slash goodnewswomen. There is an e-letter that's available that goes out periodically, next level elements to develop as a Christ follower and apprentice of his kingdom. You can subscribe to that letter at the website, jesussmart.com. Jesus is our savior. He's our redeemer and he's brilliant. Jesus knows how life works best in the now. Thanks for connecting in this episode. We look forward to connecting with you more. Part two next week with Mary DeMuth and Frank Viola. Jesus is good news for women. 